Hello， 同情家族，欢迎收听 Look Back Sunday。在这个节目，姜老师会汇整过去不同国家与主题的热门跟读文章，让你可以在十五分钟内吸收最精华的世界时事趣闻。Let's get right to it。Can Germany's new chancellor revive the left in Europe? Last December, as he was plotting what most considered to be a hopeless bid to become Germany's next chancellor, Olaf Scholz interrupted his campaign preparations for a video call with an American philosopher. Scholz, a social democrat, wanted to talk to philosopher Michael J. Sandel of Harvard about why center-left parties like his had been losing working-class voters to populists. And the two men spent an hour discussing a seemingly simple theme that would become the centerpiece of the Schultz campaign: respect. Schultz is Germany's ninth post-war chancellor, and the first social democrat in 16 years, succeeding Angela Merkel and heading a three-party coalition government. Defying polls and pundits, he led his 158-year-old party. From the precipice of irrelevance to an unlikely victory, and now wants to show that the centre-left can again become a political force in Europe. For the centre-left in Europe, Schulz's victory comes at a critical moment. Over the past decade, many of the parties that once dominated European politics have become almost obsolete, seemingly bereft of ideas. And largely abandoned by their working class base, the political energy has been on the right, especially the populist far right, with many American conservatives flocking to countries like Hungary to study the illiberal democracy of Viktor Orban, that nation's far right prime minister. The biggest concern in politics for me is that our liberal democracies are coming increasingly under pressure. Mr. Schultz says about himself on the Social Democrats' website, "We have to solve the problems so that the cheap slogans of the populists don't catch." Last year, in the middle of the first COVID-19 lockdown, Mr. Schultz read Professor Sandel's latest book, "The Tyranny of Merit," in which the Harvard philosopher argued that the meritocratic narrative of education as an engine of social mobility. Had fueled resentment and contributed to the rise of populists like Mr. Trump. The backlash of 2016 vividly expressed that simply telling people "you can make it if you try" was not an adequate response to the wage stagnation and job loss brought about by globalization, Professor Sandel said in an interview. What the social democratic elites missed was the insult implicit in this response to inequality. Because what it said was, if you're struggling in the new economy, your failure is your fault. Next article. Europe's COVID culture war plays out in pockets of Germany. Sven Müller is proudly unvaccinated. He thinks COVID-19 vaccines are neither effective nor safe, but a way to make money for pharmaceutical companies and corrupt politicians. Who are taking away his freedom? Under state rules to stem coronavirus infections, he is no longer allowed to go to restaurants, to the bowling alley, to the cinema, or to the hairdresser. 
From next week, he will be barred from entering most shops too. But that has only strengthened his resolve. They can't break me, said Müller, 40, a bar owner in the town of Annaberg, Bolscholz, in the Ore Mountain region in the eastern state of Saxony, where the vaccination rate is 44%, the lowest in Germany. Miller personifies a problem that is as sharp in some parts of Europe as it is in the United States. If Germany had red and blue states, Saxony would be crimson. In places like this, pockets of unvaccinated people are driving the latest round of contagion, filling strained hospital wards, putting economic recoveries at risk, and sending governments scrambling to head off a fourth wave of the pandemic. Western European governments are resorting increasingly to thinly veiled coercion with a mixture of mandates, inducements and punishments. In many countries, it is working. When President Emmanuel Macron announced in July that vaccine passports would be required to enter most social venues, France, where anti-vaccine sentiment was strong, was one of the least vaccinated countries in Europe. Today, it has one of the highest vaccination rates in the world. Prime Minister Mario Draghi of Italy followed Macron's lead with even tougher measures. There, and in Spain too, attempts by populist parties to stoke a broad-based anti-vaccine backlash have largely been snuffed out. But regional resistance against the coronavirus vaccine remains. In Central and Eastern Europe, and in the German-speaking countries and regions bordering them, the problem is more stubborn. In Italy, the northern province of Bolzano, bordering Austria and Switzerland, where 70% of the population is German-speaking, has the country's lowest vaccination rate. There is some correlation with far-right parties, but the main reason is this trust in nature, said Patrick Franzoni, a doctor who spearheads the inoculation campaign in the province. Especially in the Alps, he said, the German-speaking population trusts fresh air, organic produce and herbal teas more than traditional drugs. Next article. It's election season in Germany. No charisma, please. The most popular politician who would like to be chancellor isn't on the ballot. The leading candidate is so boring, people compare him to a machine. Instead of yes we can, voters are being fired up with promises of stability. Germany is having its most important election in a generation. But you would never know it. The newspaper Die Welt recently asked in the headline, Is this the most boring election ever? Yes and no. The campaign to replace Chancellor Angela Merkel after 16 years of her dominating German and European politics is the tightest in Germany since 2005, and it just got tighter. The Social Democrats, written off as recently as a month ago, have overtaken Merkel's conservatives for the first time in years. But the campaign has also revealed a charisma vacuum that is at once typical of post-war German politics and exceptional for just how bland Merkel's two most likely successors are. 
no party is polling more than 25%. And for much of the race, the candidates the public has preferred was none of the above. Whoever wins, however, will have the job of shepherding the continent's largest economy, making that person one of Europe's most important leaders, which has left some observers wondering if the charisma deficit will extend to a leadership deficit as well. While the election outcome may be exciting, the two leading candidates are anything but. Less than a month before the vote, the field is being led by two male suit-wearing career politicians, one balding, one bespectacled, both over 60, who represent the parties that have governed the country jointly for the better part of two decades. There is Armin Lanschet, the governor of the western state of North Rhine-Westphalia, who is running for Merkel's conservative Christian Democrats. And then there is Olaf Scholz, a social democrat who is Merkel's finance minister and vice-chancellor. The candidate of change, Annalena Burbach, the 40-year-old co-leader of the Greens, has a bold reform agenda and plenty of verve and has been lagging in the polls after a brief surge before the summer. It's a nail-biter, German-style, who can most effectively channel stability and continuity, or put another way, who can channel Merkel. For now, it seems to be Schultz, a man Germans have long known as the schultz o or the Schultz machine, a technocrat and veteran politician who can seem almost robotically on message. Where others have slipped up in the campaign, he has avoided mistakes, mostly by saying very little. Good job, and thanks for tuning in. 想要收听更多过去的跟读单元以及节目, Catch you in the next one!